You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. I know how Jeff feels after singing all morning and being having, having to speak right afterwards when he sits down here on the front. It's, it's not, not very easy, but uh, all right. If we could, let's uh, say our offering and, uh, and bring our men down. And uh, uh, just remember, uh, as you give, uh, you're giving to the ministries of this church as well as the ministry to this community and, uh, and the Lottie Moon Christmas offering as well. So let's pray if we could. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray for your blessings on this service. We pray for your blessings on this offering, that you would be honored by the gifts that we bring. God, we thank you for all the things that you do for us, and uh, we pray that you'd help us to give back in a way that honors you. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When we come to the Christmas time, we usually think about joy a lot, don't we? Joy kind of comes to the top of the list in many ways, right? Um, You know, we think joy to the world and, you know, just the joy of Christmas and all those things. But joy means different things to different people, right? Um, For example, I like motorcycles. I really like motorcycles. Uh, I love motorcycles, in fact. A joy, they bring me joy. Uh, Riding two wheels is like nothing else to me on earth. And uh, I've heard it said before, if I have to explain it to you, you wouldn't understand. But you may have something different. Maybe you're one of those kind of people that uh, you like to get up early in the morning and you like to go and put your running shoes on and go out for a four or five mile run in the morning, right? Or maybe a bicycle ride for 15 or 20 miles uphill both ways. Doesn't make sense to me. I need a motor in between my two wheels, right? But still, that might bring you joy, whereas it doesn't bring me joy. So let's start with a definition of joy that will help us to kind of have a a foundation to work from this morning because that kind of joy that we're talking about there, that's the kind of joy you get from doing something, right? But we need to talk about a different kind of joy. So what about biblical joy? What about Christian joy? How do we define that? Well, John Piper says it this way, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as He causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Now, let's break that down just a little bit. Uh, First of all, he talks about it being a good feeling. Um, It's not an idea. It's not a concept. It's not a decision. You know, you don't just decide one day to have this kind of joy. Um, It's a feeling. It's an emotion, maybe, uh, kind of outside of our control. You know, for example, um, I was riding my motorcycle one time, Heather on the back, and we were coming back from this event, and we were on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Beautiful day, beautiful ride, everything was perfect. We come around this one corner, and all of a sudden down the road, uh, probably a good 70 or 80 yards was a big black bear. Right? So we slowed down, stopped real quick, um, but I didn't have to think about that. I didn't have to think, well, let's see. So that's a bear. That's a big bear. Uh, bears like to eat people, and we're two people without any sort of protection on this motorcycle. And he can be from there to here in about, I don't know, five or six seconds, right? 
I think it's time for me to be afraid. I didn't have to think about that, right? It just happened. We slowed down. We're ready to go. I'm ready to do a U-turn if he moves one inch towards me, and we're going to speed off in the other direction. I didn't have to think about it, right? This kind of feeling, this kind of joy is something that happens as an, emotion, uh, as an emotional response that we don't have to think about. It just happens. It's automatic. So a good feeling in the soul. We're not talking about a good feeling physically. Uh, we're talking about that uh, immaterial part of us, of, of who we are. That's the part of uh, our soul where joy is experienced. And it's produced by the Holy Spirit, so it's not something that we can conjure up on our own. It's not something that we can, uh, we can find by our own willpower. Um, it is the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those. And that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. But what He does to help us see that joy is He helps us to see the beauty in Christ. He, uh, he calls our attention to those things that God is doing in our life, um, the way that Christ is changing us more to be like Him, the way that Christ is changing people around us, and we can see God's movement in that way. Uh, he reminds us of uh, the, the times that we can see the beauty of nature and be reminded that Jesus is the Word by which that was made and held together. We also... Uh, we experience this kind of joy when, we, uh, when we're reading the Scriptures, when the Holy Spirit reminds us of things about Jesus in the Scriptures. You know, you, you've heard about that scarlet thread running through all of Scripture. And uh, any time that you have an inkling of that, of seeing Christ in those Scriptures, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as He causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. So that's our definition of joy this morning as we uh, move forward. So if you would, uh, let's turn together to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. And um, just a little background here. This uh, is a a part of the Old Testament where uh, God is speaking to His people, uh, speaking to Israel through His prophet Isaiah. So these are His words to his people. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, buy. Come, buy, eat. Come, buy wine and drink without money and without cost. You know, God invites all those who hunger and thirst to attend this banquet. Uh, those who are thirsty, they're going to find water. Those who are hungry, they're going to find bread. And even if you don't have any money, He's inviting you to come to this, um, to come and still be filled. You know, even if you're spending all your money on trying to find joy in other ways, God is still saying, come here and be satisfied. Come here and find joy. And we see this uh, in verses 2 and 3. Why spend money on what does not, uh, what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, which is my faithful love promised to David. You know, that second part kind of turns the corner. We're not talking about a buffet here with food, physical food, are we? 
know, God's really trying to get them to understand that when you come to me, I'm going to fill you with this spiritual life, this spiritual completeness uh, that you can only get from me. And that's what God's trying to convince them of here. Um, you know, they were seeking all kinds of joy in, uh, in many things, uh, many idols and uh, uh, other ways to find joy. And God's wanting them to return to Him through His grace to that true, full, and final joy that He brings. You know, if you think about a person in the desert who's terribly thirsty, or you think about maybe someone who's homeless who is hungry, oftentimes they'll, in desperation, reach out for anything and look for anything because they're desperate. But salt water is no good to the thirsty person, is it? Just a pack of chewing gum is no good to the hungry person, right? It is possible to waste our time and to waste our lives looking to find joy in something that can never provide it. So this morning, let's look and see where true joy and satisfaction can be found. That's only in Jesus. So turn over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and a little bit of background here. This is uh, just after the story where uh, Jesus is, uh, has provided food for uh, 5,000 people. Uh, this miracle of uh, uh, feeding so many people with leftovers left over, all from just three loaves and two fish. Amazing miracle, right? Now, something a little bit interesting. Uh, of all the miracles that Jesus did, this one is the only one that's in all four Gospels. So it's a pretty important miracle, right? Um, now, this particular miracle, too, was uh, the first time that the crowd started to gather behind Jesus and try to force him into being the king. They wanted to take him by force and make him the king. And uh, Jesus, recognizing this, he, uh, he separated himself and withdrew. Now, again, just a little bit more background here. Uh, there are at least 18 recorded miracles of Jesus before this one. You know, this is uh, the miracles of turning the water into wine, uh, miracles of healing many people like uh, the official son or Peter's mother-in-law, the man with leprosy, uh, the paralytic that they lowered down through the roof, um, also the, the woman with the issue of blood, uh, two blind men, uh, the uh, invalid at Bethesda, all those, healed all those. He also had uh, risen at least two people from the dead, the widow's son in name and Jairus' daughter as well. Even cast out a bunch of evil spirits, for example, the one where he sent them all into the pigs and they ran off the cliff. All those miracles happened before this one. Yet this is the one miracle where the people start to try and gather and force him into being their king when their bellies get filled. Not all these other wonderful things that mean so much, but when their bellies get filled, that's when they're ready to force him into being their king. You know, meals were not easy to come by in Jesus' time. But they were, they were looking for Jesus to constantly provide these meals for them. Surely joy could be found if they didn't have to worry about finding meals, right? Well, Jesus, like I said, he retreats. He goes up to the mountainside. He observes Passover with his disciples. 
And uh, they enter the boat. Jesus stays behind. They go across the Sea of Capernaum, and they're caught in this storm. Well, Jesus walks on the water out to them. They think he's a ghost. You know, even uh, Jesus calls Peter to walk on the water with him. All that's happening in this. And when Jesus gets to the boat, the winds and the, the waves calm down. All this happens during this, uh, this little trip. That alone is enough to say there's something different about this guy. This guy's got to be the Messiah. He must be the Son of God. This was a testimony to his identity. But yet that same crowd that had just been fed the day before, they continue to follow Jesus and try to find him, and they're searching for him. But what are they looking for? They're not really looking for, uh, a, looking for surrender to Jesus. They're not trying to uh, be, I don't know, be taught by Jesus. What they're looking for is to have their bellies filled again. They're hungry again today. Yesterday, he fed them. Today, maybe he can do it again. Maybe they even expected him to do it again. And some of them didn't even want just a meal. They also wanted to see the show because it's a pretty cool thing to see Jesus do a miracle, right? So they get a dinner and a show. That's what they're looking for. But here's the thing. The pursuit of fulfilling our flesh is never going to be satisfied. It's never going to provide a joy that's long and lasting. Uh, the desire to constantly need to be fed, nothing in our flesh is ever really going to satisfy that need. And so what are your real motivations for following Jesus, for seeking Jesus? Could there be something other than life transformation? Could our motivation be something selfish even, or prideful, or maybe even fleshly? Well, those who pursued Christ for something other than transformation, they might have had a false or maybe even a misplaced faith. We see this in things like the prosperity gospel, or uh, people that, that come to Christ through some sort of rite of passage, or maybe those who have been pressured by their parents or maybe they've experienced some peer pressure from friends. How have you come to Christ? Have you come to Christ out of some sort of obligation? Or are you in love with the concept of Christianity instead of being in love with the Jesus behind the movement? Because that's where the true joy is found. Well, let's look over here in chapter 6 of John and in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? You know, they were searching for him. They were looking for him. They were trying to find him. And Jesus responds, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw um, miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus knew their heart. He knew why they were following him. He even echoes Isaiah's words some 600 years before. And he asked this question, in verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Why work? Why invest your time? Why devote all these resources? Why spend so much money for what will never satisfy and will never bring joy? And Jesus wants to turn their attention here to the food that endures to eternal life. 
Now, he's not talking about a physical food. There's not some magical brownie somewhere that gives you eternal life. He's talking about a, a, an experience with Christ, a relationship with Christ. And in verse 28, they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Isn't that just like us, though? You know, when we are looking to fulfill our joy, looking to fulfill our satisfaction, we ask, what, are, what do we need to do? What do I need to do? What more can I do? Or maybe we're uh, looking at uh, something that might be available to us in a tangible way. What's in it for me? You know, we believe joy must come from ourselves. Uh, we pursue joy out of our own world and our own circumstances. But if this is true, if this is true, then joy is up to us. We must work to obtain it. And this perpetuates a whole snowball of seeking joy by something that we can do and grasp with our own hands. But it also comes with a dark side that haunts us that if we work for it to get it, then somebody else can come and take it. And that just works against us. And Jesus wants to address that. In verse 29, Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. Is it really that easy? Is that all, really? Just believe in Jesus? Just believe in the one He has sent? Yes, it is really that easy, but there's something more to this. The, the concept here, the, the phrasing here, is not just to believe some facts about Jesus. It's to, uh, it's to believe conjoined with obedience. It's a belief that comes with obedience. The belief that causes obedience. So all that kind of fits together here in when Jesus says, believe in the one he has sent. So verse 30, they ask him, well, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Again, it's just like us, isn't it? We want to see more proof. I mean, what more do they really need to see? Yesterday, they had their bellies filled from three loaves and two fish. 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, and they still had leftovers. They'd also seen the storm calm on the sea.
Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website at hydepark.church or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist.